Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Dobbin here solo this week. On today's show, I'll review G1 Climax 31, night 6 through 10, answer listener questions, and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Uh, Like you heard in the intro, you get a solo episode this week. Uh, The young boy was uh, not able to make it on for the show tonight, and I did have... Our good friend Chris Samsa lined up for the show tonight, but uh, some responsibilities from his shoot job uh, had to pull him away from tonight's show. But Chris said he will be on the show for next week. So next week we'll get that man, Chris Samsa, uh, on the airwaves to talk about G1 Climax. But this week you're getting another solo show. So we got tons to talk about this week uh, revolving G1 Climax 31. I'm going to go into the rankings of the A block and B block. I'm going to give you guys my top 10 matches of the tournament thus far. A lot of great stuff to get into this week. One thing I want to mention before we jump into uh, G1 stuff is our YouTube channel. 
So the Social Suplex Podcast Network YouTube channel, we have been starting to upload some podcast clips to that YouTube channel. So if you check that out, go to YouTube, type in the Social Suplex Podcast Network, subscribe to that YouTube channel. We're starting to upload some clips up there. Uh, last week, uploaded a lot of great clips from our Rocky Romero episode uh, that we aired, the interview that we aired last week on the, the 200th episode. A lot of the great clips from that interview is up there as well. And speaking of the 200th episode, I just want to thank everybody who uh, listened and downloaded and shared last week the 200th episode. Uh, one of the top uh, downloaded episodes for Keeping It Strong Style this year. So appreciate the love and everybody that uh, congratulated us on 200 episodes and everybody that checked out our episode last week and our, our interview of Rocky, which I, I'm really proud of that interview. thought that was really great. I think I even liked that one better than the first time that we uh, interviewed Rocky for episode 100. Uh, so hopefully we'll have Rocky back on the show again before episode 300. Uh, but it's always good to have Rocky uh, on the line here and on keeping it strong style. So first thing I need to talk about here, it's a new month. It's October. September is behind us, which means we have to award the September Match of the Month and September Wrestler of the Month. Um, I, I did not uh, collaborate or, or consult the young boy, Josh Smith, on uh, the, the picks here. Uh, I'm sure that he will trust me here and, and agree with my takes, ratings, and opinions on who the September Wrestler of the Month should be and what the September Match of the Month should be. So I'll start with the Match of the Month. The September rest, the September Match of the Month is going to go to Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii opening night main event of day one of the G1 Climax 31 and... This match was was incredible. It's Shingo. It's Ishii. It's a big-time main event. These guys got the, the G1 kicked off in, in a great start here. Your, your, your never-style, hard-hitting action, uh, forearms, suplexes, uh, no-selling, fighting spirit. Just like a great way, like I mentioned, to open up the tournament and this epic main event between these guys. And so far, it's, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the, the best match of the tournament thus far. For me, I went 4.75 on this. Uh, a lot of people rating it the same. Some people throwing five stars on it. Uh, clearly, I, I was a coward. I couldn't go the, the full five. But um, this, to me, the best match of the tournament, best match of September. And that's why it's getting the Keeping It Strong style September match of the month. And then for the wrestler of the month, it could only be one man, the submission master. Zack Sabre Jr. ZSJ has been on one heck of a run in the G1 so far. And uh, you look at September and just the names that he's beaten and submitted. He's submitted the IWGP World Champion Shingo Takagi. He submitted Kota Ibushi. Uh, his first win submitting Tetsuya Naito. Uh, breaking Naito's knees. Throwing the knees in the bin. Naito out of the tournament so very similar to his New Japan Cup run in 2018, Zack Sabre Jr. is tapping folks out and racking up points and making some big headway in this tournament. And not only is he just beating uh, some of the top guys, he's having great matches as well. 
all three of those matches I mentioned were just were great, great matches, and, and Zach is just on uh, a hot run right now and had a great month of all three of those bangers. Um, and looking forward to seeing how Sabre does in the rest of the tournament and what his October looks like. If he can keep this up, then he can possibly win a back-to-back Wrestler of the Month award, which is uh, kind of rare on the show, only done by folks like Will Ospreay and Tomohiro Ishii, guys that have uh, those, those banger back-to-back months. So Zack Sabre Jr., ZSJ, Submission Master, the Keeping a Strong Style September Wrestler of the Month. And we have a question here from Raising Falcons. Does the G in G1 stand for Zack Sabre Jr.? Uh I mean, I don't, I don't see the G there unless you, you want to throw a, a G in for, for Junior and try to use that G pronunciation there. Uh, but, but I get what you're saying, Raising Falcons. Uh, Sabre is just absolutely dominating the G1, uh, and he, he's a top dog. And so right now I'm going to go into uh, reviewing the last few nights that we had here, but I'm going to go through it by uh, looking at the rankings that we have here for the A block and B block and talk about each competitor talk about the the couple nights they had this past week, and then we'll go into predictions for the shows coming up next week. So we'll start with the A block here, and we'll start with the man uh, on top of the block, eight points, four wins, one loss, and that is Zach Saber Jr. Now Zach Saber, he is the only guy, like I mentioned, that faced Tetsuya Naito in the tournament which is why his uh, win-loss record is going to be a little bit different than everybody else's. Uh, due to the forfeit, everybody else in the block um, has points for six matches. But since Sabre was the only guy that got to face Naito before the injury, Sabre only has five matches. So that's why he is four in one right now. He has eight points. So on night seven, Zack Sabre Jr., he defeated the great Ocon. And then on night nine, he lost to Tomohiro Ishii. Both of these uh, great matches here. So night seven against Great Okan. I think, you know, we'll, t- we'll talk about Okan in a minute, but I think this is the best that Great Okan has looked. Uh, wrestling a Zack Sabre Jr. style. And I think people forget that Great Okan did his excursion at Rev Pro. So he has that British style, that catches catch can, that submission technical style. And we saw him unleash that here with Zack Sabre Jr. going hold for hold with Sabre and looked really good here. But Sabre was able to uh, out-wrestle the great Ocon here and uh, get the submission victory on him as well. So Sabre picking up two points there. Uh, defeated great Ocon 15 minutes and 26 seconds. I went 3.75 on that match. A really good match for that night. But then night nine uh, taking on Tomohiro Ishii. So coming in to night nine, Zack Sabre Jr. was undefeated. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii coming in with some losses and really had to pick up a big victory here to survive in the tournament. And Sabre and Ishii, we've mentioned it the last couple of weeks now, that these guys just have amazing chemistry. And when you look at them on paper, you, you might think, How, how's this matchup going to work with Sabre, you know, doing a technical wrestling and submission and, and, and trapping people in holes? And Tomohiro Ishii throwing the chop, throwing the lariats, uh, trying to hit the brain buster. But the style dichotomy just works so well between these guys. The polar opposites, they attract here and always have a great matchup. Uh, Great story here with Zack Sabre Jr. working over the arm of Tomohiro Ishii that he has uh, taped up. And 
you know, Kevin Kelly has been doing a great job just kind of telling the story of why Ishii has that arm taped up so much. He has it taped up so tight that it cuts the feeling off in his arm so he doesn't feel pain in his arm when he's throwing those chops, when he's throwing those lariats, when guys are, are working on his arm. And we, we've seen that Ishii has taken some damage on that arm in this tournament, especially during that Shingo Takagi match that I mentioned earlier. Um, that arm gave him trouble when he was trying to hit the super brain buster on Shingo. So uh, I don't know if it's a work or, you know, Ishii is an amazing seller, or maybe it's a combination of both uh, shoot and work. But the, the arm here is kind of the story for Ishii in this whole tournament. It's been uh, plaguing him in all of his matches. And that was the case here once again. And Zach knowing that and Zach being the submission master had the target on Ishii's arm. Uh, worked on the arm all throughout the match, but then of course Ichi was gonna, you know kind of able to to goat Zach into some strike exchanges and, and getting the better of Zach there, and Ichi refusing to quit, continuing to use the arm uh, even though it was it was injured and feeling so much pain, and it got to a point at the end of the match he takes the arm sleeve off. You, you get a gasp from the crowd, uh, even though they're not supposed to making any noises. They just the gasp because you know they just know how much pain she is in. He's taking, taking the, the elbow wrap off and he, and he's just going to town on Zack Sabre Jr. And he ends up hitting that vertical drop brain buster on Zack Sabre and gives Sabre his first loss for the tournament. A big win here for Ishii. This win keeps Ishii alive for right now. So, uh, so Sabre stays at eight points where Tomohiro Ishii goes up to six points uh, I went four and a half on this matchup. So uh, some good stuff here from Zack Sabre Jr. once again this week. And even though he lost Ishii, still on top of the block um, and, and has some, you know, big wins, especially when it comes down the line for, for tiebreaker scenarios, uh, Sabre is still in a strong position. But you got to wonder now, is this going to be the descent of Sabre? We know a lot of times, guys, when they start off the G1 hot, they usually end up, um, you know, going through a little cold spell and picking up some losses here. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see this week. Is Sabre going to, you know, drop a couple losses and kind of lose some of that footing he's gained in the beginning of the tournament? And we'll see if Tomohiro Ishii can also rally up and and pick up some wins and potentially uh, finish closer to the top of the block here. So I did have a question from Dom Homie 101. He says, thoughts on ZSJ calling out a dragon from America. So for those of you that missed it, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. in his post-match promos, he said that he already defeated the Japanese dragon and he wants to face the American dragon, obviously referring to the American dragon, Brian Danielson. And Brian Danielson has made comments saying he wants to uh, face Sabre and face him in Europe and beat him and get his uh, technical wrestling award back, which is named after Brian Danielson in the uh, Wrestling Observer Year-End Awards. Um, so uh, I think that's big. I mean, I know that these guys have wrestled in the past before, but that was a much younger Zack Sabre Jr. That was a much younger Daniel Bryan. Both these guys are uh, have advanced so much since the last time they faced each other. And I think this would be just an amazing matchup, especially if you could do it um, in Europe. You did it as a, in a red-hot crowd for a Rev Pro show. Uh, I mean, I think also, you know, AEW would be a great spot for it now. I mean, I, th- I would love to see the New Japan also, but the one thing that would deter me from doing this match in New Japan is just the lack of crowd engagement and interaction 
that you can get with this match right now. So I, I think, you know, doing it in Rev Pro or AEW might be the right call if they're trying to do this match anytime soon. Uh, but definitely think it needs to happen. And uh, I'm excited about it. You know, we, we talk about the Forbidden Door. Well, you know, the Forbidden Door is off the hinges. You know, AEW and New Japan are clearly working together. They're sending guys uh, back and forth. You know, they're, they're sending Moxley over in Kingston to the Philly taping. So we're starting to see more synergy between AEW and New Japan. And one day we're, we're going to get Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr., now we just got to wait for the stage and the time. Um, probably won't happen by, by time by the end of this year, but definitely sometime next year, uh, I could see this match happening on a big stage. So now we'll move down the rankings here to Kenta, who is also at eight points, but Kenta is four and two. So Kenta got that that extra two points from the forfeit from Naito. So he's at a four and two record already. Six matches down, eight points in the block here. On night seven, he lost to Shingo Takagi, uh, 23 minutes and 56 seconds. And then on night nine, he defeated the Great Okan, 19 minutes and 30 seconds. So looking at that night seven matchup with Shingo Takagi, uh, I thought that was one of Kenta's best matches of the tournament. We've been getting a, a hit or miss kind of Kenta here, uh, just based off the, some of the opponents he's had and some of the shenanigans. You know, you look at some of the, the Yano stuff, it's you got more of the kind of a silly Kenta scene not taking the match seriously, and then you, you shift gears here to this match with Shingo where Kenta knows if he can beat Shingo, he can potentially get a future IWGP World Heavyweight title matchup uh, and then also get that, that coveted two points and, and advance in the block here. Uh, but that was not the case. He fell to the last of the Dragon even though, you know, he, he tried everything. Um, you know, Shingo, very similar to Ishii. Shingo also suffering with a arm injury uh, due to uh, the, the arm bar being uh, applied to him in the Sabre match. Sabre extending that arm, and now Shingo, Shingo with a injured arm, and he it's, uh, has a target there on his arm, and Kenta tried to take advantage of the arm. Uh, at one point, there was a ref bump, and Kenta used a steel chair on the injured arm of Shingo, but Shingo was able to, to fight back from that and come back and hit the last of the dragon, foiling Kenta's plans and uh, Shingo picking up two points there. Then the second matchup, kind of the opposite of the Shingo match. So, so the Shingo match, we got a more serious, hard-hitting Kenta. And then the Great Okan match was more in, in line with the Yano match. Kind of a lot of goofy, a lot of shenanigans. Uh, the match started with a promo that um, essentially... Uh, they were they were kind of going back and forth, and they were saying that the the winner, uh, the loser, would have to bow down to the winner. Um, that was kind of the, the big thing there, but kind of just a lot of shenanigans here between these two guys. Not really much to talk about in ring action. I, I went the, the gentleman's three three stars flat on this one. Uh, don't definitely don't have to go out of your way to watch this one, uh, but kind of a disappointing matchup here. I mean, it's I know it's not Noah Kenta, but still Kenta. And great Okan is another guy, which I'm going to talk about him next. He's also been uh, kind of hit or miss. So let's let's talk about the great Okan. He's also at eight points, four wins, and two losses. So on night seven, like I mentioned when we were talking about Zack Sabre Jr., he uh, lost to Zack Sabre Jr. 15 minutes in 26 seconds. And then like I just mentioned, on night nine, 
he lost to Kenta 19 minutes and 30 seconds. And Great Okan, very similar to Kenta and where it's kind of is a hot and cold situation with him. Uh, we're not, I'm not seeing the consistent work with Great Okan. Uh, I mean, he's having decent matches, but he's a guy that, you know, really impresses as a young lion and, and a guy that a lot of people are hard on. A lot of people criticize this guy. And uh, a lot of people are waiting to see results and see him kind of excel to that next level. And we just not haven't seen that yet in this tournament. I think it's probably his best matchup thus far has been the Zack Sabre Jr. match that happened on night seven. And he got to display a lot of his technical wrestling skill um, and a lot of that kind of submission style that he picked up in his excursion and rev pro. Uh, but his other matches, he really hasn't got to display much of that or really show what he can do. Uh, and so, you know, uh, night seven, I, I was feeling really good about that performance, but then you, you switch over to night nine with the match of Kenta, and it was just kind of long and boring. There wasn't a lot of action, and just it was just kind of mad. It was just kind of there. Um, and, and Great Okan shouldn't be having just kind of their performances. I think he should be um, excelling. And I, I, do, I do think part of the issue has been some of the opponents he, that he's had thus far. I mean, he, you know, he's faced Toriano. He's faced Tangaloa. He hasn't really faced uh, a lot of top, top guys yet. Um, but Kenta is a guy that they that, that he should have been able to have a, a better match with. But I think they were more focused in, uh, on the story they were kind of telling with the whole uh, who has about who and weren't really focused on having a kind of, you know, notebook-style matchup, so to speak. So Kenta gets the win over Great Okan. Uh, post-match, he tried to get the great Okan to bow down to him, but great Okan wasn't having any of that grabs. Kenta hits him with the eliminator. So leaves Kenta lying, but he does not walk away with the two points, but he is uh, tied for eight points on top of the block with Saber and Kenta. And our next guy that we'll look at, who's also has eight points is the golden star Kota Abushi. So Bushi, eight points, four wins, and two losses on night seven. He defeated Toriano four minutes and three seconds. And then on night nine, Kota Bushi defeated the Dragon Shingo Takagi, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, 23 minutes and 57 seconds. Um, so a pretty good week here for Kota Bushi. Uh, night seven, he had one of the better... Uh, Toroyano matches of a tournament. Like I mentioned last week, uh, my patience has been running thin with Toriano and his shenanigans in this tournament. Uh, but here we had a nice little quick four-minute match. Uh, not too much shenanigans Jana could do. And, and Kota Ibushi was pretty vicious in this match, uh, delivering uh, several uh, Kamigoyes and knees to Toroyano, putting him away very quickly here. Like I said, probably one of the best Yano matches of a tournament. I went 2.5 on this matchup. And then night nine, Kota Ibushi picks up that big win over Shingo Takagi. I went four and a half on this one. It was a great backstory with this matchup. Uh, a few months ago, these guys were supposed to face off for the IWGB World Heavyweight title at Wrestle Grand Slam. But we all know Kota Ibushi was diagnosed with aspiration Pneumonia had to be pulled from the show, and he was replaced with Evil uh, for that, that title match against Shingo. 
So this was the match that we were supposed to have in, in July, and we're finally getting here. And this was a match to, for Kota Ibushi to kind of prove himself. You know, could I could I have could I have beaten Shingo on that night? Could I have I beaten that world, the world heavyweight champion? Should I be the world heavyweight champion right now? Um, so that was kind of the big story going into this match, and um, of course Kota Ibushi also the story going on with him. He's also just kind of trying to recover, get his footing back. You know. Um, Personally, I believe, you know, his matches in the tournament, a lot of people have, you know, criticized his performances, just saying, you know, it hasn't been up to what we expect from Kota Ibushi. And I think that is, it's been a work. I think that's been by design. I think Kota Ibushi is telling a story here that he, he's, you know, trying to build himself back up and, and get his, you know, footing back, get his conditioning back after being off for so long. And I think we got, you know, one of the first truly great standout matches and moments here for Kota Ibushi in this match. And this was it's just your epic uh, New Japan style main event with both these guys uh, throwing big bombs, great counters in the moves. Uh, again, you know, Shingo's arm, the left arm there, or the right arm that's taped up that, that Zack Sabre injured. Uh, that That's also, you know, been a, a hindrance here in this matchup and... Um, a lot of great moments here in this match, uh, uh, especially when Shingo um, delivered that pumping bomber towards the beginning of the match to the back of Abushi's head and sending him flipping. Uh, that was a great moment. Um, Kota Abushi uh, hitting the Kamagoye, Shingo kicking out at two for a great near fall there. Uh, it seems like it might be time for Kota Abushi to get a, a new finisher because the Kamagoye is not getting it done. We've seen him run through finishers. The last several years now, you know, he, he's used the Phoenix Splash. He's used the Last Ride Powerbomb. And now that the regular Kamigoye with the knee is not getting the job done. So he does uh, revert to here to using the Kamigoye with the knee pad off to the back of the head to get the, the big win over uh, Shingo Takagi. And, man, this was just one hell of a main event for Night 9. Kota Ibushi, he picks up his two points, and not only does he get two points, he also beat the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, so now uh, he's possibly in line for getting a world title match uh, this fall, or maybe down the line on one of the three Wrestle Kingdom shows. We gotta remember that Zack Sabre Jr. also defeated Shingo Takagi, so those are the two guys that could potentially get title matches this fall, you know, we don't have a King of Pro Wrestling this year due to the way the schedule worked out. We only have Power Struggle as our really big fall show, and then there's the best of the Super Junior and World Tag League final show, but I don't think we're going to see a IWGP title match on that show. I think uh, Power Struggle will be the only show that we end up seeing a world title match. So I think that uh, it's either going to be Sabre or Bushi getting that title match, and then Maybe one of those guys will be one of the challengers come Wrestle Kingdom season. We have three domes, three main events. I assume that the IWGP World Heavyweight title will be on the line all three nights of those shows. So um, you could potentially hold off on maybe Kota Ibushi getting his title shot until one of those dome nights. But yeah, like I said, just a, a great matchup here. Tons of great stuff. Another spot that I failed to mention was uh, Abushi hitting a beautiful Asai moonsault to the outside. So, again, you're starting to see Abushi do more high-risk moves, more bigger maneuvers. I think as he progresses in tournament, we're going to see him kind of getting back to full form 
And yeah, just go out of your way. Definitely, if you're cherry picking the tournament, you definitely want to watch this match. The main event from night nine, Abushi and Shingo. Again, I went four and a half on that matchup. Now we're going to start looking at some of the guys who have six points here in the A block. So first, we're going to look at Toro Yano. Six points, three wins, and two losses. On night seven, like I mentioned, he uh, was defeated by Kota Abushi four minutes and three seconds. And then on night nine, he had a non-tournament match where he defeated Bushi seven minutes and 14 seconds. And like I've been saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm over Yano in this tournament. And I get it, guys. It's supposed to be the quote-unquote night off uh, for guys. It's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, the, the buffet style of wrestling. You you get your entertainment. You get your, your shenanigans. Well, I, I'm just not, I, th- I think in this this year, especially this year, maybe even last year, with the G1 having to be, you know, in this clap crowd environment, uh, and especially this year with New Japan's Western popularity being, um, you know, lower than it's been in the last couple of years, you, you need some buzz about this tournament, and Toriano is not the guy to get you the positive buzz uh, for this tournament. Um, like I mentioned, night seven, that, that was probably the best um, Yano match of the tournament. Nice and quick, Abushi put that man away. Um, and then night nine, the, the match of Abushi, once again, just pure shenanigans. These guys are pulling out the the hoods that we saw when uh, Yano and Chase were uh, feuding them for that, that KOBW stipulation, uh, the blindfold uh, gimmick they were doing. And we had, we had a lot of that and just a lot of shenanigans back and forth here, here for Yano and Abushi. Nobody really needed this match. I would have been perfectly fine if they just gave Yano the night off completely and not have him wrestle. But, you know, they want a full show. They want to give the fans their, their money's worth. But, you know, the, the viewers at home, we, we did not get our, our money's worth here uh, watching Toriano and Bushi uh, open this show up in, in the seven-minute matchup. Uh, but at least it was short and, and out of the way. Uh, but we, we could have definitely done without that matchup. Uh, again, I went uh, two and a half on that one as well. So next up, we'll look at Tomohiro Ishii, also with six points. He is three and three. So on night seven, Tomohiro Ishii defeated Tangaloa, 16 minutes and 18 seconds. And then on night nine, Tomohiro Ishii defeated Zack Sabre Jr., 18 minutes and 40 seconds. So, the Stone Pitbull making a little rebound here, picking up two wins this past week. Uh, the first matchup, Night 7 with Tangaloa. Really good matchup here. Uh, you know, we've been look, kind of waiting to see how Tangaloa would perform against some of these higher-up guys here. And I thought this was a really good match. I mean, it's, it's hard to have a bad match with Tomohiro Ishii. I went three and a half on this match. I thought this match probably could have... Uh, done better, got a higher rating from me if it wasn't for the crowd. Uh, night 7, overall, the crowd uh, was really dead, and I know it's a clap crowd, and so maybe all cloud, crowds sound dead, but there to me, there I can tell there have been better clap crowds and crowds that have really gotten into it with their, their claps, their stomps, and using the, you know the, the rain stick noise makers to really get into the matches, but uh, Night 7 was, was a rough night here. Um, and especially for just a lot of the matches throughout the night. But, yeah, this this Ishii Tangaloa match was hurt by that, but the work was really good. Um, some good stuff from Tangaloa, you know, getting into those strike exchanges with Tomohiro Ishii. 
um, kind of seeing that that strong style come out from Tangaloa, uh, but was not able to topple Tomohiro Ishii here. Eats a vertical drop brain buster, and Ishii picks up two points. Then uh, night nine, like we mentioned earlier, he defeated Zack Sabre Jr. Um, again, just a, a great matchup. Um, Ishii, just one of the, the best sellers in the game, and just his selling of the arm here and just fighting through the pain uh, of Sabre wrapping this man up. It was uh, good stuff. Definitely go out of your way to check this one out from night nine. I went four and a half on it. Uh, Ishii, you know, he's a guy that usually finishes in the, the middle of the block, usually a guy that gets about eight points. And only with a couple more matches left, he, he's probably going only going to maybe pick up one, if maybe two, but probably only one more match and then probably eat some more losses here. Um, we'll, we'll take a look at the schedule and see who he has coming up this coming up week, kind of see where he might end up. But we always know of Ishii, you know, he's never going to win the tournament, but he's always going to be one of the standout performers in the block. So a uh, really good week here for Tomohiro Ishii. Then at the bottom of the block here with four points, Tangle Loa, two, po- two win, three losses. Like I mentioned, night seven, he lost to Tomohiro Ishii, 16 minutes, 18 seconds. And then on night nine, he picked up his first uh, earned victory of the of the tournament where he defeated um, he defeated Yujiro Takahashi. 12 minutes and 36 seconds. So Tangaloa, you know, part of his story was wanting to pick up his actual first victory. So he got his first two points due to forfeit from the Tetsuya Naito injury. Uh, so he's been looking for, you know, a, his first win, his first set of points by actually beating an opponent. He got that here by defeating his Bullet Club stablemate, Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, there weren't uh, too many shenanigans here uh, in this matchup here. Uh, of course, Yudro had Peter with him. Uh, Tangaloa had Jada with him. Uh, so for the most part, this match was wrestled pretty clean. And, you know, Tangaloa, you know, there was that uh, interview he did a couple years ago where he joked about, you know, wanting to be a junior heavyweight and to, and to be a high flyer, obviously, which would be very, very difficult for the man, uh, the size of Tangaloa to, to drop down to uh, junior uh, but we're seeing some junior offense here. This man hit a moonsault press <laughs> in this match. We're seeing these high insecurities. We're seeing this high-paced offense from Tangaloa. So I, I don't think he's going to get in best of the Super Juniors, but he is uh, performing uh, very well here and doing some stuff that we haven't normally seen him do before. And I think he's working really hard here uh, in this tournament. Again, obviously, Nothing blow away from Tangaloa, but, you know, we, we still don't really know quite what to expect of him. And he's been having some good little matches here. Um, you know, I think if we had some better crowd reactions, uh, that would help his match as well. And uh, I think, too, just some of, some of the opponents he's had as well have not been the best either. Uh, we see, you know, he's wrestling guys like Ishii. He's having some better matches. Uh, you know, this usual match, I, I went three and a quarter. So it, it, was, it was a good little match here. Uh, good for this night nine show again. Uh, so Tangaloa picking up his first victory, first pinfall victory here. So he gets um, some points on the board there, two points for this win. So he's now at four points, two and three. 
Um, and he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to come anywhere close to finishing towards the top of the block. Then another guy uh, with four points, two wins and three losses, is his Bull Club stablemate, Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, so we know Yujiro got that big win over Kota Ibushi in the beginning of the tournament um, and hasn't really seen much luck since then. On night seven, he had a non-tournament match with Bushi, defeated Bushi with the big juice, 13 minutes and one seconds. Um, fine little match here, three stars. Then, like we mentioned, on night nine, he was defeated by Tangaloa. Um, again, good little matchup here between these guys. Min- minimum shenanigans uh, looked really good, three and a quarter stars. Um, you know, usual, like we mentioned, started off hot. He, he got that win over Abushi. He got the forfeit win over Naito. Uh, but yeah, he's been, he's fallen fast since then. You know, the, the big juice has not been able to, to push through. Uh, and so if only, you know, a few matches left, you know, usual and Tangaloa, they're both going to have a really hard time getting points and, and finishing towards the top of the block. I mean, we can pretty much, you know, X these guys out as guys that can, you know, potentially uh, win the tournament. I'm sure we, we, we all had those guys <laughs> X'd out from, from day one, but as we're seeing the tournament actually play out here, uh, mathematically, they're, they're pretty much almost uh, eliminated here. And then, of course, at the very bottom of the block is Tetsuya Naito with zero points, 0-9 withdrawing from the tournament due to a knee injury, forfeiting eight matches. Uh, so, yeah, sad stuff for Tetsuya Naito. And we did have a question here from Rambo Slam Pig asking if there's any update on Naito's knee. Um, unfortunately, I have not heard uh, any update on Naito's knee. Uh, we, we know it's an ACL issue. I haven't heard whether or not he's had surgery, uh, but it, it's probably going to definitely require surgery. And he's probably going to be out for quite some time. Um, which obviously was, was a big hurt for this tournament, and it's a big hurt going into Wrestle Kingdom season, especially when we have three nights of uh, Wrestle Kingdoms, two in the Dome, one in Yokohama Arena, and you got to imagine that Naito is going to be penciled in for some big matches for those three nights. And before we move on to the B block, I have another question here from Grunty Dodds. He says, what was the bigger upset? Yujiro beating Ibushi or Chase over Tanahashi. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the the Chase and Tanahashi when we get to the B block. Actually, so let me, let me uh, hold off on this question um, until we walk through the B block and talk about those matches. All right, so let's look at the B block here. So on top of the block in the B block, we have Jeff Cobb with 10 points. He is Five and zero oh, undefeated. Uh, we had three nights of action for the B block this week. So on night six, Jeff Cobb defeated Hiroki Goto, fifteen minutes and eight seconds. On night eight, Jeff Cobb defeated Tamatonga, twelve minutes and forty-seven seconds. And then on night ten, Jeff Cobb defeated Taichi, fifteen minutes and fifteen seconds. And Jeff Cobb has been absolutely killing it in this tournament, not just from a kayfabe points perspective, but from an in-ring 
performance. Jeff Cobb, like we've mentioned, um, since he's uh, turned heel and joined the United Empire, he's just been having um, just a stellar uh, run in New Japan, and we're, we're getting these great matches, and we're, we're getting these, these great this, this great run from, from Cobb, and I'm really enjoying his work in this tournament, um, especially this past week when you look at night six, eight, and ten. Um, night six, he had that win over Hiroki Goto. It's just kind of interesting this, to see this matchup just because Goto was one of Cobb's first rivals when he first came into New Japan, and they they fought over the Never title. And it was just one of those situations where Goto was kind of one of those milestones and one of those people that Cobb, you know, struggled to beat and was somebody, you know, he needed to be to try and get his footing in New Japan. They had that rivalry in Cobb's first year in, in New Japan for that for the Never title. And you know, now we're, we're seeing things kind of flipped here where, you know, Goto's on, on the downtrend. Cobb is, on, is trending upwards. And Cobb is the hard person. You know, Cobb is the guy that Goto needs to beat to try and, and stay relevant and, and to try and prove himself uh, and to prove why he belongs in New Japan, why he belongs in the G1. Uh, but like I mentioned, Goto could not get the job done here on this night. Uh, Cobb was just too much for him. You know, Goto, he, he tried, you know, the, the GTRs and the GTWs and all this stuff, but. Cobb is such a hard guy to, to throw around and, and to and to bully around. And uh, Cobb was able to hit the, the tour of the islands here. A good little strong style matchup here. I went 3.75 on this matchup. Then the night eight match with Tamatonga. And obviously, I'll, we'll talk about Tamatonga here uh, as we get further down the block. But Tama has looked really good in this tournament as well. And I've uh, been wrestling pretty clean and also wrestling without the shirt. Uh, you know, trying to show off the bod here, um, and you know had a really good match here with Jeff Cobb. Super fast pace, um, you know, trying to use that speed advantage to outmaneuver Jeff Cobb. But once again, again, just could not get the job done. Um, you know, trying to use that big um, stinger splash maneuver. Cobb just catching him and belly to belly suplexing him. Uh, tossing Tamatonga all over the place until he finally puts him away with Tor of the Islands. Um, so another big win there for Cobb. Went three and a half on this match. And then our night 10, Jeff Cobb's best match from this last week against Tai Chi. Uh, I went four stars on this match. And just overall in general, night 10 was a great night. Probably one of the best B-block nights Overall, um, you had three bangers towards the end of that card here. And with the Cobb and Tai Chi match being one of them, being the first match to kind of kick off that stretch of bangers that we saw on night 10. Um, and these guys, uh, obviously no strangers to each other as well. They've also had some history in the Never Division. And Tai Chi, you know, tried using the the, 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 the kicks, the strikes, the, the axe bomber. Uh, he, he fought for the dangerous suplex in this match. Um, but, of course, Cobb, once again, just outpowering Tai Chi, literally picking Tai Chi up like a little kid and throwing him corner to corner, ramming him across the corner, using that power advantage. Um, I, I did pop big for Tai Chi eventually getting the the dangerous suplex on uh, Jeff Cobb. And that, that's, a, that's a big boy to be dropping on his head like that. 
Uh, but Cobb, man, just freaky strong and was super dominant in the beginning of this matchup here and really wore down Taichi. And Taichi uh, really fought really hard. And I, I thought Taichi was going to get the win because of that because Cobb was just so dominant and, and, and just walking the dog with Taichi. You know, Taichi is one half of the IWGP heavyweight tag team champions right now. And uh, he's a guy that you would expect to do pretty well in this tournament and probably could pull off a win over Jeff Cobb, but he couldn't get the job done. He tried to get him up for Black Mephisto several times. He just could not get it done. Cobb puts him away with Tour of the Island, picking up two more points, landing Jeff Cobb at 10 points, being undefeated in the block, having an incredible tournament. Then the next guy in the B block who's also undefeated with 10 points is the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, again, another great week for him. So on night six, he defeated Yoshihashi. On night eight, he defeated Hiroki Goto. And then on night 10, he defeated Sonata. So similar to Jeff Cobb, rolling off three wins here this past week in some Really good matches. So night six, he defeated his chaos stablemate Yoshihashi. This was in Corkin Hall here, so you know Yoshihashi performs very well in Corkin. But you know Yoshihashi's just been on fire ever since he's become one third of the Never Six Man Champions. You know we we, we see him have a ton of success as a part of that chaos uh, tri- trio unit. But, you know, the one thing with Yoshihashi, that that success has failed to translate over to singles action in, in this G1. And, you know, all three of the, the Never Six Man champs have been struggling in this tournament. And I think that's because, you know, this past year, past year and a half or so, however long they've been champions, they've all been focused on six-man tags and having each other to be able to tag in and out. And some of these guys, I think they might be, you know, out of condition for singles matches. And so they spend so much of the year focusing on six-man tags, and now they're once again having to rely on themselves in, in this single, um, you know, singles tournament. And we're seeing these guys struggle, especially um, Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, and, you know, he had a really difficult task here trying to defeat a red-hot Rainmaker. You know, the Rainmaker is back you know Okada made that speech on night one or night two night one of the B block but night two overall when he defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi with the Rainmaker and you know saying you know the Rainmaker Rainmaker is back and yeah we're seeing you know top form Okada here so Yoshihashi you know he had his hands full here the loose explosion didn't back down though from his uh, chaos leader He, he brought the fight here but, you know, it just wasn't enough to take out Okada. You know, Okada, you know, didn't take him lightly and, you know, worked over the neck for a lot of the match and he, dropping him on his head with DT on the floor and DT in the ring and just really working over the neck. Um, a lot of great back and forth stuff here between these guys until Okada finally puts him away with a beautiful rainmaker. Uh, both guys worked really hard here and, and gave Cork and Hall a very good main event. I went four stars on this one. Then on night eight, Okada and Hiroki Goto. So 
Okada back to back having to to run through his chaos stable mates here and facing off against another third of the never six man champions. Um, so Goto again has been struggling much like Yoshihashi to pick up a win here in this tournament. And, you know, these guys have been focused on six man action. Like I said so much and uh, Goto just have been really struggling to get out the blocks in this tournament. This was a very hard hitting matchup here between these two. Uh, night eight was another night where, where the crowd uh, wasn't the best. Um, and this match would have definitely benefited uh, from a crowd that could cheer and really get into the match. Uh, but the work was uh, really sol- solid here. Uh, and Goto, um, you know, we were kind of seeing this this frustration build up in him with these losses. And, uh, there, you know, there's rumors about Okada, you know, being a bad leader of chaos. And I'm wondering if some of that frustration was also a part of that and came out in this match. But unfortunately for Goto, he was not able to use that frustration to get a victory and... The Rainmaker claims another victim, but he did not use the Rainmaker to put Goto in. He used what I like to call the Kenny Omega pin, uh, that big, you know, pinfall he used to get the win over um, Omega during the two out of three. He's also used it on uh, Chris Jericho, and he's used it a couple times. It's kind of that that sneaky flash pin that he could do where he he hit that on Hiroki Goto, got the, the big win there. Racked up two more points. Both guys did uh, shake hands after the match, but I still feel like there's this kind of frustration building in Hiroki Goto that who knows? Maybe we, we see a turn or him leaving chaos. Uh, maybe that's just me reading too much into it, but I, I do feel like there's something that could be coming with Goto with, with all these losses and the frustration that he's been having. So, night 10, Kazuchika Okada, he defeated Sonata. And this match was epic. This was a fantastic main event here. Like I mentioned on night 10, we had that closing stretch of bangers. And this was the match that closed it out. Um, Okada Sonata here in in the main event. I went four and a half on this one. And I think this actually might be my favorite Okada Sonata match ever. I know so many people love their series in 2019. I wasn't super high on a lot of those matches, but I really enjoyed this match up here. Um, just so much uh, back and forth between these guys, um, you know, and Sonata, you know, really trying to prove himself and beating Okada. You know, he was he failed to beat Okada for the title. He did, he did beat him in the G1 in 2019 to get his first kind of big win over Okada, but he failed to win the title match, so... You know, if he could, he could beat a red-hot Rainmaker here, that would get him in the swing of things and get him back into uh, title contention. Uh, these guys know each other so well. There was just so many uh, great counters um, out of the, the Skull and out of the Tombstone, out of the Rainmaker. I mean, that closing stretch, I mean, there were so many great counters. And uh, Sonata ended up having to uh, sell the knee here in this match. He went for the moonsault, landed on his feet, the knee buckle that that left the opening uh, for Okada to start working on the knee of Sonata, um, and that was a a focal point of the matchup. And then Okada also using the the money clip um, as a way uh, to to focus in on Sonata and wear Sonata down, and 
Um, you know, it was a point where, you know, his knees hurting, but he's also being, you know, put to sleep at the same time. So uh, Sonata was in a, in a rough way here in, in the middle part of this matchup, um, using a TKO to come back and getting Okada in the skull. And we got a, a near submission here. Uh, but uh, Okada was able to, you know, pop his head out at one point. Um, we had Sonata going for the moonsault again and, and missing and landing again. Um, he, he fights it off this time, uh, which led into a, another skull end, which Okada escaped from. And then then Okada would counter out of the uh, magic screw and hits a beautiful drop kick. And then you had Sonata. He countered the Rainmaker into a TKO and finally hits the moonsault, but he, he still lands awkwardly on, on that injured knee. Okada kicks out. Um, then in the final five minutes, they're, they're teasing that 30-minute draw. Um, he Okada goes for the um, the Omega pin, couldn't get it. He does a spinning tombstone, which left both men down. And then they're back up and they're trading elbows. Uh, we get a shot drop, shotgun drop kick from Okada, then a German suplex, which he then laid went into. He tried for the Rainmaker off the German suplexes, but then it's not countered with the O'Connor roll. And nearly gets the win. We know we've seen Sonata pick up wins in this tournament with that O'Connor roll. And just in general, it's a move that he can he can pick up wins with. Um, and then Okada goes for the landslide tombstone. Okada, Sonata slips back in the skull end. Okada escapes again. Goes for a drop kick. And then Sonata, he goes for a Destino. So earlier in the match, he, he did a Destino-like maneuver into the skull end. But here at the end of the match, he was going for the actual... Destino, but Okada countered it, dropped him on his head with the landslide, and then hit him with the Rainmaker. One, two, three. Right in the the last minutes here, Okada puts Sonata away. Such a good technically wrestled matchup. So many great counters, big moves, great selling. Um, and one of Okada's best matches of the tournament is it's up there with the Tanahashi match. And I think this is the best that Sonata's looking in this tournament. This is probably Sonata's best match of the tournament. So go out of your way to watch this one. Um, Sonata and Okada from night 10. Again, I went 4.5 on this matchup. Just a, a great, a beautiful, beautiful pro, pro wrestling match. And I have a question here from Dom Homie 101. He says, Does Okada need a new foe similar to guys like Omega, Naito, or Tanahashi? Yeah, I definitely think um, Okada does work best when he does have these guys that are challenging him and guys that he's trying to surpass. But I, I do feel like they were setting up Will Ospreay to be one of those guys and his, his next kind of rival. And obviously in the Okada Osprey feud, Okada is sitting in the Tanahashi seat with Osprey sitting in the Okada seat and, and Osprey being the, the young guy that's trying to overthrow the, the veteran ace Okada. And unfortunately, you know, due to the pandemic and due to Osprey's injuries, we weren't able to, you know, see that matchup that was supposed to happen and um, get the continuation of that story. But obviously that, that story is not over. And eventually Osprey will be back in Japan. 
And I do think Will Ospreay is going to be that, that next guy that's going to push and challenge Okada. And I think we're going to get a big moment where Osprey finally beats Okada in the Dome. And I think we're going to get a, a little rivalry here with Will Ospreay. Um, I think Kota Ibushi is another guy that, they, that they've tried to position as one of his rivals. Um, I don't think it's quite worked out the way they, they've wanted it to. Obviously, again, with the pandemic and Ibushi's uh, sickness. Uh, but I do think Abushi is another guy that is one of those, those kind of rivals for Okada and, and a guy that fights for that top spot, especially since Abushi's been, um, you know, a full-time contracted guy. And they, they you know, the company is behind Abushi and wants him to be one of the top guys in the company. Um, so, yeah, Abushi, Osprey are kind of the, the two guys there. Um, but I definitely feel like we do need some other guys, too, in, in the meantime. And, it might be a couple of years, but there was a tease of, you know, Okada leaving Yuyo Mora laying, and it was very similar to Tanahashi leaving Okada laying before Okada went on excursion. So, I mean, we could have Yuyo Mora coming back in a couple of years and being Okada's next big rival. And again, mirroring the, the, the Tanahashi Okada rivalry, and you'll have Yumura being the, the young brash Okada coming in to try and, you know, take down the Kazuchika Okada Tanahashi ace of the company. So next up, we're going to take a look at Evil. So Evil has eight points. He is four and one. On night six, Evil defeated Taichi 11 minutes and 30 seconds. On night eight, Evil defeated Chase Owens 12 minutes and 38 seconds. And then on night 10, Evil defeated Tama Tonga with uh, 13 minutes and 47 seconds. And you know what? I mean, it, it's evil, guys. The, these matches, they were fine. Uh, obviously, a lot of shenanigans, a lot of interference. Um, the Tai Chi match, it, it was a match straight from, you know, 90s Monday Night Raw with all the, the interference and shenanigans. Um Miho Abe being a, a big factor in this match. Um, Dick Togo uh, using, you know, putting his hands on Miho Abe to distract Tai Chi, which would allow Evil to take advantage and get the win over Tai Chi. And I, I do think it's very interesting that I, I haven't seen any fans complaining about Dick Togo putting his hands on Miho Abe, uh, somebody who doesn't really take bumps. Um, just, just find that interesting. Then a night eight evil defeated uh, Chase Owens, and uh, you know we got the the typical um, Bullet Club uh, finger poke of doom argument spot here, where evil uh, he wanted uh, Chase Owens to lay down for him. He wanted Chase to hand over the two points. You know we're starting to see evil face off against non House of Torture Bullet Club guys, and it's been interesting to see the interactions uh, have been were going to be between these guys. So here we're seeing. You know, they're on the same page, they're too sweeting, but but Eagle wants him to lay down, hand over the two points, um, you know, do a, a finger poke of doom. But Chase did not want to lay down for Evil, which this frustrates Evil, and uh, the match goes on from there. Um, you know, back and forth matchups, um, you know, it's a lot of your, your typical Evil um, stuff here. We have Dick Togo and the, the Garote Wire trying to get involved. Uh, evil grabbing Chase's uh, Texas heavyweight title for a distraction. Evil blocks a knee, but eventually he gets hit with the C trigger, 
and Chase goes for the package pile driver, but then Dick Togo distracts. Evil hits a low blow to free himself, and then he hits the everything is evil. One, two, three. It was fine. A lot of shenanigans. Um, I went uh, 2.75 on this matchup. Then for Evil's last match on night 10, facing off Tama Tonga, uh, this is probably the, the best match of this stretch here. I thought Tama Tonga worked really hard in this matchup here. Uh, it was kind of like a, a fiery uh, baby face here. And, you know, Kevin Kelly has been making the joke, you know, you, you face evil, you do become the, the most popular guy in the room. And we've been seeing that here with these Bull Club guys that evil is facing off against here. Um, so once again, um, you know, seeing the interactions here with, with evil and a non-House of Torture Bullet Club member. And uh, before the match, they're um, uh, evil, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, look for for a handshake from Tamatonga. Tamatonga wanted none of that, knowing evil was trying to lure him in, which he was. Um, so uh, interesting thing about this matchup was obviously evil had Dick Togo, but Tamatonga had Jado, and Jado was uh, nullifying any Dick Togo interference. Anytime that Dick Togo would try to interfere, Jado would uh, wave him off. And so for the most part, we were getting a pretty clean match because Jado was stopping all Togo interference. Um, so, you know, we're, we're getting this good back-and-forth match. Tamatonga is being this red-hot bay face, um, super-fast action here back-and-forth. And, um, you know, towards the end of the match here, uh, Dick Togo is uh, trying to get involved once again. But Jado, uh, you know, fends him off. But then the lights go out, which is typically, you know, Dick Togo's move that we've been seeing him do this year. He'd go in the back and cork in and turn the lights off. And then Evil would, you know, lights come back on. Evil would be in control and, and get a win. Well, also, it wasn't Dick Togo here because he uh, lights come back on. He's choking out Tamatonga. Uh, then Tamatonga, um, you know, falls to the uh, everything is evil after evil gets a, a low blow. So, uh, you know, the big mystery was who turned off the lights uh, and ended up being show was the one after the match. Show comes out and he's smiling and clapping. So. Uh, show falling into full Togoism, full evilism, um, and uh, doing a lot of shenanigans here. And, you know, I was really into this matchup and, and until they, they turned the lights off spot and we had this uh, schmoz uh, finish here. So I'm, I'm only going three stars flat here. Uh, but like I said, probably one of the better evil matches just due to, to Jado kind of keeping uh, Dick Togo um out of the interference until we got the, the lights out spot. And I'm, I'm going to need uh Jado to start running interference on Togo in the, in the booking room as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need him, you know, master heater to, to pull out the candlestick during these creative meetings. And anytime Togo opens his mouth, just to, to crack him over the head with it. And a couple questions here about evil first from Reddit user, pussy destroyer, eight, three, six, one, nine. Interesting name there. Uh, says, Evil doesn't seem to care about cheating to beat his own stablemates. If this caused a rift in Bullet Club down the line, how would you go about booking another 
Bullet Club Civil War, or would you try to steer clear of it and how? Um, personally, I have no interest in a Bullet Club Civil War between the Bullet Club, I guess you could call them OGs, Firing Squad, and the House of Torture. I do not see any really compelling matchups from having those two sides facing off of, against each other. Uh, I'm not trying to watch a Jay White evil matchup. Um, you know, evil versus... You know, we, we just saw Evil versus Tamatonga and Evil versus Chase. Um, to me, there's not, there's not really a lot of compelling, exciting matches to come from this Bullet Club storyline. And who knows if they were going to even do this if Jay was able to stay in Japan and decide to work the G1. Uh, but, you know, they went this route. We, we know about the Dick Togo influence in, in the booking on, on the House of Torture. Um, but, you know... It's just not something I, I want to see, but it does see seem like they are going in that direction with some kind of split. And, you know, they did kind of plant seeds last year when Evil joined the Bullet Club and Jay couldn't get into the country and Evil was the de facto leader of the Bullet Club and then Jay was able to get back in the country and then, you know, there wasn't really any tension. They just kind of got along. But now we're kind of seeing a little bit more tension, especially with Tam Tonga um, and his tweets and, you know, saying, does, does he know and kind of getting in the middle of, you know, Jay and, and Evil squabbling on Twitter. So it does seem like they are going for a civil war split. Uh, and I mean, I think if you're going to set it up, eventually you, you have Jay come back into Japan. Uh, you know, Jay has been doing his own thing here in the U.S. You know, he, he has Chris Bay in the bull club. And again, it's very kind of similar to the elite versus OGs. We're kind of getting this North American bull club being formed. You have Jay white, Chris Bay, Hikaleo. Um, see, is there anybody else bull club in the U S I think those are the main guys that are in the U S right now. So you're seeing that start to form. Oh, El El Phantasmo. Well, Elvin has and Taiji are in, are in the U.S. right now, so you you have those guys representing Bullet Club here in the U.S. Um, and, and then in Japan, you you have the House of Torture, then you also have the kind of OG guys who are kind of on their own little island as well. So there's almost kind of three subgroups here, but I mean, you you should have Jay come back to Japan at some point, probably in the build to Wrestle Kingdom, and maybe just kind of vent his frustrations on, on what's happening with the House of Torture. And, and the way evil show Yujiro and Dick Togo are doing things. And, and then you, you go from there. And again, maybe it, it is like three groups you split off with, with the two in Japan and the, the one kind of U.S. group. Or maybe you just kind of keep one major bullet club group and then you, you have the House of Torture. There's a couple of different ways they can do it. I just don't think it's going to be a very, it's not going to be elite versus OGs. Elite versus OGs, that was compelling. There was a lot of interesting stuff they could have done there. There was some good, some more matches that could have happened. They left money on the table with that feud. I, I don't think there's much money to be made here with House of Torture versus Bullet Club. Like I said, there's, there's not a lot of intriguing matchups, and I just don't know if you, if you put Jay White versus Evil on the marquee, like how many people are, are going to be you know busting out of doors to see that one. 
who knows? I, I, I could be wrong. Obviously, I am not in Japan. I don't talk to a lot of, you know, the, the Japanese fan base. I know Evil is very popular uh, with some of that fan base. And the, the House of Torture t-shirt uh, last week was a ranking in the Tokon shop. So there are people who who like Evil and who are buying a shirt. So maybe uh, there is a some money in, in Evil Jay White. But personally, I just don't think it would be a, an intriguing matchup to see. Next question from Steven Waiteka from the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. First, he asks, since Evil beat Tama, can we see a G.O.D. versus Evil and Yujiro? Um, I mean, again, yeah, if we're going to do this Bullet Club Civil War, that's probably a matchup you can do. We do have World Tag League coming up and... Um, you know, Evil's probably going to be in that tag league. It's probably going to be Evil and Yujiro since it's a, it's a heavyweight tournament. Uh, and G.O.D. will probably be in there if they're in the country. So that is a match that we will probably see in the World Tag League and will probably happen, in, if not in Tag League, definitely in, in this uh, what seems to be upcoming Bullet Club Civil War. Uh, Steven also asked, do we call show the Terry Gordy of New Japan with the lights out approach? Uh, and I think, no, we, we call him, um, you know, mini evil. We call him a, a student of, of Togoism uh, and, and trying to ruin matches um, by turning the lights off. Then last question about evil here from Reddit user Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the English announced team always saying that evil sold his soul. Is this part of a story or just them shooting the ish? I think this is, this is them just telling the story of evil. I mean, he did sell his soul out to join Bullet Club. He was part of LIJ uh, pre-pandemic and a uh, nice little spot there. And then um, sold his soul to, to join the Bullet Club and to get that run and to become the double champion until that's just a saying that you know you say when a, a face you know goes to the dark side and joins up with a group that has evil intentions uh no pun intended um so i mean that is a, a part of evil's arc and, and character story of you know selling his soul to join the bullet club so he can get um the double titles Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's uh, move on from evil. So that's, a, that's enough evil talk for this show. Let's talk about the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Six points, three wins, and two losses. Uh, nice little week here for Tanahashi. So on night six, Tanahashi defeated Tama Tonga, 14 minutes and 17 seconds. On night eight, he defeated Sonata, 25 minutes and 36 seconds. And then on night 10, the big upset win here with Chase Owens defeating Tanahashi 10 minutes and 50, 10 minutes and 58 seconds. 
So on night six, he uh, defeated Tamatonga, and this was a really good matchup here. Like I've mentioned in the Evil match, Tamatonga is wrestling these matches like a you know a, a red hot babyface here, and has been wrestling clean. And we've been seeing him wrestle clean here um, throughout the tournament. And he, he wrestled clean here against Tanahashi, and had a really good uh, back and forth here. Uh, Tamatonga busting up the Tongan death grip on Tanahashi. Um, there's one point where uh, Tamatonga he hits a sling blade and then goes up top for a high fly flow of his own. Um, it was more of a a low down the the D'Lo Brown version of a frog splash, and he uh, nails that. Almost gets the win on Tanahashi. Uh, and Tanahashi uh, does come back with a twist and shout. Hits a sling blade of his own. Um, goes for the uh, high fly flow. But uh, Tamatonga is able to move out the way. He hits a big gun stun, but he couldn't make the cover fast enough to uh, get the three count. Uh, Tama then laid on Tanahashi, who countered him with a crucifix pin. So Tanahashi sneaking one out on Tamatonga. And again, this was a really good matchup here. We'll talk about Tamatonga, but he's been having some really Good performances. I went 3.75 here. So let's talk about his night eight matchup against Sonata. This was uh, a really good matchup here. Sonata and Tanahashi tend to have really great chemistry against each other. And again, night eight was one of those nights that the clap crowd was really low energy. And I think this match would have, um, again, been would have been better with a, a more, you know, energetic clap crowd like in Osaka. And obviously would have been better with a crowd that could cheer. Um, and you know the thing with Sonata and Tanahashi, anytime they end up facing off, it usually does end up in a kind of a game of anything you can do, I can do better. And both guys are, you know, try to one-up each other. Uh, you know, we had uh, Tanahashi uh, taunting Sonata with the air guitar, and then Tana, uh, Sonata returned by putting Tanahashi in the Paradise Lock and taunting him with the air guitar uh, both men were attacking each other's legs in this match. Tanahashi using the dragon screw to obviously set up for his clover leaf. Sonata um, also attacking the leg and doing dragon screw as well. Uh, I'm not sure what he was really trying to target there. I mean, obviously there is a history of Tanahashi having knee injuries, but Sonata doesn't really have any offense that really focuses on the knee. But again, this is kind of one upmanship and competition between Sonata and Tanahashi and just trying to outdo each other here. Um, we even got the, you know, the, the infamous spot where both men grab each other's legs and they're like, you put it down first. No, you put it down first. No, you put it down first. Uh, and both guys, you know, arguing there, which led to uh, Sonata getting the advantage, hitting a dragon screw off of that. And we just kind of got this back and forth, one up, one upsmanship between these guys throughout the whole match. Um, at the conclusion of the match, Sonata goes for the O'Connor roll, like I mentioned, which he used for victory earlier in the tournament. Uh, Tanahashi fought through and nailed a beautiful dragon suplex out of the O'Connor roll attempt and goes to the top, hits a high fly flow. One, two, three. The ace rides again. You know, last week, the, the young boy was trying to tell me that Sonata was going to win. He was laughing that I was going with the ace, that I was riding with the ace. And look at me now. Look where it got me. The ace picked up two wins, night six, night eight. Defeated this bum, Sonata. 
get some points on the board. Six points. So great stuff here for the ace. Um, but it will kind of stop there when we get to night 10 that the role Tanahashi was on. He, he, he hit the, the roadblock known as Chase Owens. So big upset win here for Chase. Um, and this match was a pretty good match. It was the opener of night 10. There was no non-tournament matches. So it was the opener of the show. Uh, night 10 was also a, a free show. So if you've dropped your NJPW World subscription and have kind of just been following the G1 through this podcast or other podcasts and uh, news sites, you can check out Night 10 for free. And like I mentioned, those last three matches were bangers, but this Chase Owens match was the opening uh, match of the show here. And again, Chase has been wrestling pretty clean this tournament. Uh, this was a very... Uh, very well wrestled matchup between Chase and Tanahashi. And it all came down to Chase hitting what he's calling the C trigger. His version of the V trigger. We know that Chase used to be um, Omega's partner during tag league season. And we've seen Chase use a lot of Kenny's signature offense in his matches. And the V trigger being one of those. But he's now dubbed it the C trigger. And he was able to hit the C-trigger on Tanahashi and drop him with the package pile driver. One, two, three. Chase pins the AC, pins the IWGP US champion and gets two points up on the board. And, you know, I, I've seen a, a lot of discourse online about Chase being Tanahashi. Um, a, a lot of jokes uh, about New Japan being dead and what is Gato doing and la di da di da and guys yes in a normal scenario Chase Owens probably should not be beating Tanahashi nor should you ever really think about beating Tanahashi with Chase in, in a non-tournament scenario but we're, we're in the G1 in, in the G1 anyone could beat Anyone we, we've seen Toriano beat several of the top guys. We, we've seen this this year, Yujiro Takahashi beat Kota Ibushi. The end of last year, Yujiro beat Jeff Cobb. We, we see these kind of upsets from lower card guys beating guys, beating guys who are former world champions, guys that are in contention for the title, and they beat these guys. Um, so anybody can be beat in a G1. So I don't think it's that big of a deal that Tanahashi lost to Chase in a G1 scenario. Clearly, Tanahashi is still going to finish toward the top of the block while Chase is probably going to be uh, towards the end of the block. And Tanahashi is the U.S. champion. You do need to set up some U.S. title defenses for him. And clearly, they want to reward Chase. Chase is one of the guys that has been there in, in, through the good times and the bad times for New Japan. Uh, you know, a lot of the other guys they they don't want to do the quarantine. They don't want to come for G1. Uh, but Chase is there. Chase has been on all these tours and has been grinding very hard. And he is a very good in-ring worker. Obviously, he's obviously no Tanahashi. He's no Ibushi. He's not in the top echelon of New Japan pro wrestlers, but he's still a, a very good pro wrestler. 
Um, and he's been having some very good matches in this tournament. And he will have a, a very good match for the U.S. title. You know, post-match, he does pick up the U.S. title, and it does look like they're going to angle to set up a Chase Owens versus Tanahashi U.S. title match. And you're like, why would you do Chase against Tanahashi? Why not do Sonata versus Tanahashi? Well, A, I'm not the booker, so I, I don't know why they went that direction. Uh, but clearly for the points, that's what they need to do. And hey, it's a it's a very easy title defense for Tanahashi. I think Tanahashi's gonna hold this title for a while. You want him to have some defenses under there. You know, you, you feed him a, a bum of the month like Chase Owens, and then now there's some believability for the title match since Chase beat him. And I bet you that the those near package power driver attempts in the title match are gonna be so great because the crowd gassed here when Chase beat uh, Tanahashi with the package power driver. So in the title match, the crowd's going to be clued, clued in, and they're going to be looking for that package power driver. And anytime Chase gets Tanahashi up, the crowd's going to be you know on the edge of their seat, seeing if Chase can beat Tanahashi with the title on the line. So ultimately, I, I have no issue with Chase being Tanahashi. It's a G1. I have no problem with Chase getting a title match. Um, he's a guy, like I said, that's, that's been there. Uh, throughout the pandemic, and it has been giving some solid performances. And this is a nice little way to reward him. Now let me go back to Grunty Dodd's question when he asked what was the bigger upset, Yujiro beating Ibushi or Chase be- beating Tanahashi? And that's a difficult one because I feel like both Chase and Yujiro are pretty much on the same level. Yeah, man, it's, it's tough. I, I think that Yujiro beating Ibushi is the bigger upset, but I would say Chase beating Tanahashi was probably the more surprising one because um, Ibushi losing night one clean. That's the thing. Yes, usually he did use a low blow, but for the most part, it was a pretty clean match. He got he got hit with the big juice, and he was laid out. Um, and Chase, again, also, he, he beat Tanahashi clean with the package power driver, which is also... It's very surprising. Like, I wouldn't expect Chase to, to beat Tanahashi, but I do think it's probably a bigger deal maybe for Yujiro to kind of beat Ibushi on night one. But overall, both huge upsets uh, for both guys and, and a, a huge upset for Chase, a big moment for Chase. Um, so we'll, we'll see uh, when that U.S. title match is going to happen. Probably going to happen at Power Struggle. Question from Ready to Rambo and Slam Pig. He says, is Chase Owens now the lineal ace of the universe? And, you know, I, I'm going to say no because, I mean, if we want to figure out who the lineal ace of the universe is, then we would have to, to trace back to when Tanahashi first became the ace and then track all the people that he's won and lost to since then up until now so if we were to map out the lineal ace i I would have to do it uh maybe this will be a fun project to do look up in cage match and kind of map out you know when you know tanahashi became the ace and all people he's lost to because i'm sure that there's somebody that's probably not even in new japan at the time in the moment right now that's the quote-unquote lineal ace of the universe then rambo slam picks uh second question he says wtf is gato doing 
Um, and like I mentioned, I'm pretty sure this is his, his accent list. And in regards to Chase be, being Tanahashi, again, it's the G1. Anybody can beat anyone. They want to reward a guy that works hard and has been for them in this very difficult time. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I do. I, I think this has kind of been an overblown thing. Um, and also, you know, the, the U.S. title, we it's, you know, used to be the, you know, white man belt. And uh, we're getting an, another uh, fellow uh, white man here, Chase Owens, challenging for the title. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, somebody, it's a U.S. guy getting a U.S. shot, uh, pulling an upset win, a guy that they're trying to award. Don't think it, it's that big of a deal. Well, now let's move on to Taichi, who has four points, two and three. So on night six, he lost to Evil. Let me the 30 seconds. On night eight, he lost to Yoshihashi, 22 minutes and 26 seconds. And then on night 10, he lost to Jeff Cobb. So we, we talked about the Evil match. Um, and again, that was... All shenanigans and, and Dick Togo and Miho Abe getting involved with the distraction that led to Evil defeating Taichi. Now, night eight is Yoshihashi match. These guys worked really, really, really hard. Um, had a hard hitting match. Um, you know, they had 22 minutes were out there, but this one just seemed to drag on a little bit at some points. And again, it was due to that that night eight crowd. They were just not as enthusiastic as some of the other clap crowds, um, which which hurt matches like this where you have two guys who are working really hard and having a hard-hitting matchup here. Uh, but Yoshihashi, he does uh, pull up an upset win here, got his first win of the tournament, beating Taichi, beating one half of the tag team champions. So uh, you, you got to wonder if this opens up a tag team title match for Yoshihashi down the line. We do know previously G1, him and Goto, they were in that triple threat title match at Russell Grand Slam in the MetLife Dome. Uh, it was Goto and Yoshihashi uh, against Sonata and Naito against Dangerous Techers. So you could insert Yoshihashi back into the tag title match, tag title mix with um, Hiroki Goto to challenge the Dangerous Techers perhaps at Power Struggle. But yeah, both guys uh, were, were working really hard. Yoshihashi was, was uh, unleashing a ton of offense here on Tai Chi. Um, he, he used the, the butterfly lock. Uh, he used the dragon suplex, the, the Kumagoroshi, which is, is, is a brain buster type maneuver. Uh, had several counters for the Black Mephisto and a lot of Tai Chi's uh, signature offense. And Tai Chi just could not get any advantage here. It just, it just seemed like Yoshihashi was always one step ahead of uh, Tai Chi, and he busted out a uh, destroyer once again. Uh, Pop me, you know, he's adding this into his, uh, you know, big boy arsenal here, this Canadian destroyer. Um, then he hits the Karma, and one, two, three, Yoshihashi defeats Tai Chi. Uh, so big kind of upset loss there. So we'll see if this leads to a tag team title match. Then his last match of the week, uh, Taichi, he lost to Jeff Cobb, which we talked about earlier. 
when we talked about Jeff Cobb. Um, and again, like I mentioned, you know, Cobb was eating up Tai Chi in the beginning of the match. But Tai Chi uh, would, would fight through with, with the kicks and the strikes and the, the axe bomber and eventually hitting a dangerous suplex on Jeff Cobb. Um, but yeah, Tai Chi, like I've said earlier, was no match for the tour of the islands. So Tai Chi eating two losses back to back here, only with four points in the block and only has uh, four matches left in the tournament um so he's gonna have to you know get on his bike here get some wins if he wants to end up toward the top of the block here all right let's talk about cole skull sonata next who's also at four points with two wins and three losses so on night six Sonata defeated chase owens 11 minutes and 58 seconds on night eight he lost to tanahashi 25 minutes and 36 seconds and then on night 10 he lost to Kazuchika Okada, 29 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, the Chase Owens match, it was fine. Um, it was, you know, well wrestled. Obviously, they went, you know, almost 12 minutes. They didn't go very long. Honestly, don't really even remember much of that matchup. Um, I believe Sonata got the win with a O'Connor roll or a roll-up and was able to beat Chase Owens. I went... Three stars flat. Don't have to go out of your way to, to watch that one. Then uh, night eight, we talked about the Tanahashi match already, but just a, a really good matchup there. Uh, one four stars on it. Like I mentioned earlier, that's definitely one if you're cherry picking to check out. And then uh, night 10, that Kazuchika Okada main event that I gushed about earlier that I went four and a half stars on. Uh, it's not his best match of the tournament. You know, like I mentioned with Kenta and the great Okan, how they're kind of hit and miss and, and don't always are, you know, are kind of inconsistent with their performances and don't always have great matches. I feel like sometimes Sonata gets that way. And we've said here on this show, that's not a wrestles up to the level of the guy that he's in there with. Um, and I think this week was a great example of that. You know, night six, he's wrestling a Chase Owens. Uh, he doesn't, doesn't kill himself, has a three-star match. Then he wrestles a Tanahashi. He's having a four-star match. He's wrestling Kazuchika Okada, who's uh, you know, on a hot streak right now, four-and-a-half stars match. So Sonata here wrestling up to the level of competition he's given. And sometimes he can look sloppy. He does bot some of his uh, spots. But um, he looked really good this week, especially in the Tanahashi and Okada matches. And kind of surprising for a guy that was a G1 finalist last year that he only has four points in the block, uh, two wins and three losses. So just like Tai Chi, Sonata does have um, four more matches of block action left. So if Sonata wants to be in contention again, he's going to have to start picking up some wins. Next up, Hiroki Goto. So Goto has only two points. He is one and four. Night six, he lost to Jeff Cobb. Night eight, he lost to Okada. And then on night 10, he picked up his first win by defeating Yoshihashi. Um, so we talked about the, the Cobb matchup from night six and the Okada match from night eight. But let's spend some time talking about this night 10 match against Yoshihashi. I mentioned that night 10 
The last three matches were all bangers, and this was one of them, this Goto-Yoshihashi match. The bell rings, and these guys are just, uh, you know, throwing bombs at each other, uh, very hard hitting, a ton of strikes, ton of slaps, um, just super aggressive, and these guys are, you know, tag team partners. They're two-thirds of the Never Six-Man champs, and they were just... Uh, you know, they, they left all that at the door and they were just throwing bombs at each other. Uh, very hard hitting Yoshihashi, taking it to uh, Hiroki Goto here in this match. Um, and this was like your, your never style, your strong style. I think this could uh, potentially be a uh, strong style fight of the year just with the, the intensity that these guys uh, came at each other. And Goto, actually, both guys. I mean, both guys are going in this match with zero wins and really had actually. Well, I'm sorry, forgive me. Yeah, Yoshihashi had the win against Taichi, so he was looking to pick up a, a second win. But Goto was looking for his first win. Uh, so both guys at, at the bottom of the block, really desperate to pick up some points here. And Yoshihashi, like I mentioned last week, there was um, you know some respect on the line here. Yoshihashi is seen as the you know, the, the third wheel, the, the lower guy of that, that chaos unit, even though he's been having some great performances and has picked up a lot of the, the windfalls for that team. Um, but getting some respect from Goto, getting some respect from the fans, he needed to, to beat Goto to get that respect. And that's why he went so hard here. And I mean, the chops and the, the kicks and uh, just all the stuff they were doing here. And uh, Yoshihashi killing him with that Kumagoroshi. Um, Yoshihashi using the, the, the Goto sleeper hole and trying to do the PK, trying to do some of Goto's offense, but Goto uh, you know, would eventually you know fight through that, hit the, the GTW, um, and then eventually, oh yeah, there was this spot where um, Yoshihashi, he does the Shouten Kai, which is Goto's old finisher and what Goto uh, used in previous G1 success. Uh, he used that for a near fall, but then Goto uh, later on in the match would hit a Shouten Kai of his own and then hits the GTR and one, two, three. Goto gets the win over Yoshihashi, and this is definitely one to go out of your way to check. I went four stars flat on this match. Uh, I might even, I don't know, I've, I've thought about even going four and a quarter. Uh, this was a really good, hard-hitting match, and this followed that Jeff Cobb Tai Chi match. So, man, that Jeff Cobb Tai Chi, the Goto Yoshihashi, and then Okada Sonata—three bangers and three great ways. Just three great matches and great way to close out night ten. And you know, like I mentioned, Goto does get the win, but unfortunately, that's only his first win, and he's only at two points with four losses. He's already lost to two of the guys on top of the block, Jeff Cobb and Okada. So at this point, Goroki Goto, he, he's eliminated. There's there's nothing he can really do. Even if Cobb and Okada lose the next four, they would have the tiebreaker over him. So Goto, he's done. He's cooked. The G in the G1 stands for geek. It stands for gone because he is out of there. He cannot contend. He has matches left, but even if he wins them all, He's not winning this year's G1 Climax. So let's take a look now at his tag partner, Yoshihashi, who's also 
two points, one in four. Yoshihashi losing to Okada on night six. He got the upset win over Taichi on night eight. And then night 10, he had the tough loss to Hiroki Goto. And we've touched on all three of those matches. But I'll just say that Yoshihashi, man, this guy is working really, really hard in these matches. And, um, you know, it's not the Yoshihashi of old. It's not the bag of socks. This guy is having some compelling matches, hard-hitting matches. He's bringing that intensity and aggression that he's lacked in the past. Um, all the his big move offense has been great. Using a Canadian destroyer, using the the Kumagoroshi, and then you know busting out a shouting Kai on Goto, using a Dragon Suplex, um, up in the game with his, his striking and, and slaps and, and forearms. Like this guy is really up this game and is looking great in this tournament, and is having some really good matches. So. You know, we'll take a look in a minute at the schedule for the next week and see what he has upcoming. But just like Goto, he's also eliminated. He's already lost to Kazuchika Okada. Uh, did he already face Jeff Cobb? Uh, let me look back at the tournament results here. Yeah. Yeah, he lost to Cobb on night four. So, yeah, he's, again, just like Goto, he's already lost to the, the block leaders. He's got one win. Even if he wins out the match, he would lose a tiebreaker to Goto, or excuse me, to Cobb and Okada if they lost out. So, just like Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi is out. Um, but I expect him to have some uh, more great matches in this tournament. Then we go at... Then we take a look at Tama Tonga, who's also at the bottom of the block, two points, one win, and four losses. On night six, he lost to Tanahashi. Night eight, he lost to Jeff Cobb. And then on night 10, he lost to Evil. And we've, we've touched on all these matches, but I will say, man, Tama Tonga is another guy that's been very impressive in this tournament. You know, there's been a a lot of people that were kind of, you know, not really looking forward to his performances in the G1 this year due to the last time he was in G1. But we're not getting that Tano Tonga. We're getting a new Tano Tonga here, uh, a guy who's been wrestling mostly clean. We haven't really seen Jado get involved. We haven't really seen too much cheating or shenanigans. Wrestling clean and, and wrestling like a, a red-hot baby face, you know, wrestling with the shirt off. Doing a lot of you know high pace, big offense, busting out a big splash that he's calling. I think I think he calls it the superior flow. Um, you know he's hitting all these cool gun stuns. He's getting the crowd um, into the matches with the the, the clapping the lead into the gun stun. He's doing a, a lot of stuff here that makes him look like a baby face, which might make you think that he's going to be on the Jay White side of things if there is going to be a Bullet Club Civil War, or maybe they, again, like I said, maybe you you have those Tongan guys kind of split off on their own, and maybe they're kind of the Bay Face group out of, the, of the, this Civil War. They're kind of facing off against the, the Jay White unit and the Evil unit. We'll see what happens, but Tam Tonga, he's looked great. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe part of his issue, maybe he shouldn't be a heel. Maybe the, the Bullet Club stuff has, maybe that's hindered him over the years, and, and maybe he's better off as a face. Maybe the, it's kind of that, that Jeff Cobb situation where 
Cobb was better off as a heel, and we've, we've seen Cobb now have a, a great run as a heel, and maybe Tam Tonga is better off as a face. Uh, and based off his matches here that he's had in this tournament, I, I think that might be the case, and maybe it's a time, you know, I know he loves getting those Bullet Club royalty checks. He, he loves throwing up that too sweet, but maybe it's time he leaves the Bullet Club. Maybe it's time for Tam Tonga to, to branch out on his own. We mentioned last week, I mean, there's only so much more G.O.D. can do. They've won tag leagues. They've been the IWGP Tag Team Champions over and over again. Uh, I think Tama, he should probably go out on his own and become a babyface, join Hontai. Let's let's shake some things up here. Uh, I would love to see what Tama could do in a babyface role if he would continue to wrestle like he's been wrestling in this tournament. And then the last guy to look here at the block is Chase Owens, also one in four, two points. Similar scenario for Chase with Tamatanga, Yoshihashi, and Goto. All these guys are one in four. The max they can get is uh, five wins, which would bring about 10 points. But then they would all need Goto. They would all, I keep saying Goto. They would all need Cobb and Okada to lose out and be stuck at 10 points. But then a lot of guys, they would lose tiebreakers. And Chase, he, um, let me look back. Just Chase faced Okada or Cobb yet. I'm blanking out. Let me look back at the results. So, yeah, so Chase already lost to Cobb on night two, so he would lose that tiebreaker there. Um, and then I don't think Chase has faced Okada yet. Yeah, Chase hasn't faced Okada yet. So, I mean, he could beat Okada and have some kind of crazy tiebreaker situation happen, but that is highly unlikely. New Japan is not going to book that. So, Goto, Yoshihashi, Tamatanga, Chase Owens, all four of these guys are out of the tournament. Uh, but Chase, much like these, these bottom four guys, they've all been having some really good performances. I thought Chase has looked really good in this tournament. Um, unfortunately, you know, he had the, the evil match, he, um, this week, which was full of shenanigans. He had these, not a match, which, which was just fine. They didn't, they had 12 minutes and they didn't really do, um, a whole lot there. But then, um, the, the Tanahashi match was pretty good as well. Um, that I went three and a quarter on, and that was an opener. And to be honest, that, that was Tanahashi kind of taking a night off, kind of mailing it in, not really, you know, taking a lot, a lot of bumps here. Uh, but still putting Chase over in, in a good way to open up that hot night 10 show. Um, so Chase having some good little performances here. Um, and again, he'll probably continue to be in that three and a quarter, three and a half star range. And, you know, we'll, we'll see who he has left here in a second, but maybe he has um, some more upset wins. Maybe he has some better matches. But overall, um, I, I've, I've been fine with the work that Chase has put out thus far in the tournament. So now I'm going to give you guys my top 10 matches of the tournament thus far. So I'll start with number 10. And honestly, guys, number 10, I, I could have put a, a whole bunch of matches here because uh, I had a lot of matches ranked at four stars, and, and I, I could change my mind at any moment. Um, but for right now, for, for this week, um, for number 10, I'm going to go with Jeff Cobb versus Tai Chi from day 10. I went four stars flat on that one. 
Then at number nine, I have Kota Abushi versus Zach Sabre Jr. from day five, four and a quarter. Number eight, Tomohiro Ishii versus Kota Abushi, day three, four and a quarter. Uh, number seven, Tetsuya Naito versus Zach Sabre Jr., day one, four and a quarter. Number six, Sonata versus Kazuchika Okada, day ten, four and a half. Match number five, Tomohiro Ishii versus Zach Sabre Jr. from day nine, four and a half. Coming in number four, Kota Ibushi versus Shingo Tatagi, day nine, four and a half. Coming in number three, Zach Sabre Jr. versus Shingo Takagi, day three, four and a half. Coming in number two, Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, day two, four and a half. And then my number one match of the tournament, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Tomohiro Ishii versus Shingo Takagi from day one, 4.75. So, we're not getting as many notebook matches as we've gotten in previous G1s, but we're still getting some notebook matches and a lot of great matches here in this tournament. And, um, yeah, we, we still have a few more days left of the tournament. We're, we're halfway through the tournament, so we have uh, nine nights left, including the final. So, so playing some plenty of time to get some more notebook matches racked up. And we have a question here from front of the show and our guest last week from Post Wrestling, Karen Peterson. Uh, she asks, have your picks to win evolved as the G1 continues to surprise everyone as the upsets wins ensue? At this stage, who do you think is making their way to the finals? Uh, yes, Karen. So, yeah, as the, the G1 has gone on, my, my picks have been changing. and my, my predictions on air have been different from the G1 pick'em bracket that I entered in of uh, the contest that we have going on here are keeping in strong style. And I am working on updating those uh, rankings for night 10 and night nine results. You can check out uh social suplex.com homepage to find those G1 standings. I will be tweeting those out once I get them updated, but yeah, my, my picks have been changing, changing in, in a few uh, seconds here. We're going to look at the next few nights, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to have different picks than I had that I entered in my pick them because we'll obviously we're getting a better picture of what's happening with the, the point standings and with upset wins happening. Um, as far as who I think is making their way to the finals, I mean, right now, I mean, look at the B block. It, it seems like it's going to be um, Cobb and Okada that are fighting for the block. They're both undefeated 10 points. They are facing each other on the last night of the tournament. So I I got to think that's going to be the main event. That's going to be the the big final play. And, of course, you do have Evil, who's trailing behind with eight points there, uh, who could sneak his way into contention as well in the final night. Um, But I think it's going to end up being between Cobb and Okada. And and I got Okada going into the, the, the finals. Then on the A block side, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is, um, you know, on top of the block there with uh, eight points. I mean, he is tied up with Kenta, Okan, and Abushi, but I do think that Sabre is the guy that's going to eventually win out that A block and uh, face Okada in the finals. We haven't seen Okada and Sabre in a while, and both of these guys have been having great tournaments, so... That would be a great final, um, and yeah, looking forward to that if that's what's going to be the, the finals for this tournament. 
All right, now we're going to look at the schedule for the upcoming week and take a look at the matches coming up. We have four more nights before the next time we record. We got night 11, night 12, night 13, and night 14 all coming up this week. So let's start with night 11, which will be happening on Thursday, October 7th, 5.30 a.m. Eastern start time on NJPW World. The show will open up with El Desperado taking on uh, Rohi Oiwa. So that'll be good to uh, see Oiwa mix it up with Despi. Obviously, Despi is going to get the win there. Then we'll also have another non-tournament match as Hiromu Takahashi takes on Kenta. And this is like a, a junior heavyweight dream match right here. Um, this should be a, a very fun matchup here. Hopefully, we, we get a, a serious Kenta here. Obviously, Kenta is going to get the win here because he's in the tournament. He's a heavyweight, but this should be a, a fun matchup, and it's going to be great seeing Hiromu on the closer of this tour. Then the first tournament match, we're going to have Kota Abushi versus Tangaloa. Um, hmm. uh, Abushi is at eight. Tangaloa, let's see, where's Tangaloa at? Tangaloa has uh, four points. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Kota Bushi here getting the win over Tangaloa. Then we have the Zack Saber Jr. versus Yujiro Takahashi. Zack recovering needs to recover from the loss to Tomohiro Ishii, and he's facing Yujiro. I, I think he will rebound and get the win over Yujiro to go to ten points. Um, then Shingo will be facing off against Toru Yano in a semi-main event, um, and. Uh, you know, Shingo, again, is another guy who needs to bounce back from a loss. He lost to Abushi last, and so um, he's a guy that I expect to be on top of the block and be in contention going into the final night. So I will have Shingo beat Toriano. That will bring Shingo up to eight points. Um, so he would be right behind Saber and Abushi. And then the main event is going to be Tomohiro Ishii versus Great Okan and um, this is a matchup for a great Okana Shining. Um, it's hard to have a bad match with Ishii, and Ishii is going to be a guy that's going to want to bring it. So this should be a, a breakout, hopefully the breakout moment for great Okan here in this tournament and, and a matchup that, that would hit, hit the notebook. Um, I'm going to go with Ishii picking up the big win here. This would bring Ishii up to eight points, and this will have Great Okan um, stuck at eight points. And so then you would have um, some more tie situations there with Okan. Um, you, have, you would have Okan tied at eight with um, Kenta and tied with Ishii if you have Ishii pick up that win there. Um so yeah, going with Ishii, get them get them tied up at eight points, and then you have Saber and Ibushi on top of the block with ten points. Then night twelve will be B block action happening on Friday, October eighth at six a.m. Eastern time on NJPW World. Show will open up with Despi taking on Kosei Fujita. So obviously Despi is going to get the win there. Then the first tournament match we're going to have Yoshihashi. Versus Tamatonga. Um, I'm going to go with Tamatonga getting the win here. 
uh, Yoshihashi, he's already, both these guys are already mathematically eliminated. They're, they're fighting for pride here. Yoshihashi's already gotten a win over Taichi, so he can get a tactile shot. But I'm going to have Tamatanga get the win here. Then we'll have Hiroki Goto versus Chase Owens. Um, I'm going to go with Goto. I mean, Chase really honestly doesn't need to win anything else. He, he beats Tanahashi. He has a future U.S. title shot coming. He could lose out the rest of this tour and, and be fine. Um, I'm going to go with Goto. Then we have Sonata versus Jeff Cobb. Um, so, you know, at some point you, you would think Cobb needs to eat a loss and, and get a uh, and not not go fully undefeated. Um, I think Sonata is a guy that could pull off maybe in an O'Connor role or some kind of wacky roll up to catch Jeff Cobb. So I'm going to go with Sonata getting the upset win and giving Jeff Cobb his first loss of the tournament. Then in the semi-main event, we're going to have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Evil. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to ride with the ace. You can't go wrong backing the ace. The ace has been proving me right um, a lot of times in this tournament. I'm going to go with the ace getting the win here because then that would bring Tanahashi up to eight points. He would be four and two. This would be Evil's second loss. He would be four and two, and so he would also be at eight points. And then the main event's going to be Kazuchika Okada versus Taichi. And with Cobb getting his first loss, I think him and Okada are pretty are pretty much going to mirror each other. And I think Taichi is going to get the big upset win here over Okada in the main event and uh, pick up some very well-needed points. Um, so then you would have Okada and Cobb both stalled at uh, 10 points as you have uh, Tanahashi catching up, getting to 8 points, and then you would have uh, tai Chi getting some more points that would bring Tai Chi up to six points. Then we move on to night 13 back to the eight block on Saturday, October 9th at a 4 a.m. Eastern start time on NJPW world. We'll open up with Despi and Kanemaru versus Oiwa and Vegeta. So it'll be interesting to see those guys mixing up in tag team action this time. And then, uh, so obviously yeah, Despi and Kanemaru will get the win. Then a non-tournament match will be Tomohiro Ishii versus Hiromu Takahashi. First time these guys have faced off since the New Japan Cup last year, which was one of my favorite matches of that tournament and of the year last year. Um, and so it's going to be very fun seeing these guys work at it. These are both two guys. You know, this should be a quote-unquote night off match, but I don't think these guys have it in them to take a night off. And we could this could be a Nagata-Shingo situation where we're getting a four-star match in a non-tournament matchup here and being one of the best matches of this whole night. Then the first tournament matchup will be Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kenta. Um, I'm going to go with Kenta getting the win here, so kind of slowing down uh, Zack's role here just for a little bit. And that, that would bring Kenta up. I believe that would bring him up to 10 points. So you, you kind of get him tied up there with 10. Um, and then uh, Saber would be stuck at 10. So then I have Toriyano versus Yujiro Takahashi. Um, going to go with Toriyano uh, getting the win there. Uh, I mean, essentially both of these guys are, are out. So it doesn't really, honestly, it doesn't really matter who wins there. Then the semi-main event, you have Shingo Takagi versus Tangaloa. 
have a hard time seeing Tangaloa get a win over Shingo. So I'm going to go with Shingo getting the win there. That would bring Shingo up to 10 points. And then the big main event, we'll have Kota Ibushi versus the Great Okan. Um, so I have Ibushi coming in with 10 points, and then Okan would be coming in with 8. I'm going to go with Okan getting the win here, surprise upset victory, and uh, that would put Okan at 10 points. So then you would have Ibushi, Okan, and Chingo, Saber, and Kenta all at 10 points, making this very interesting and making all those guys' matches really matter coming into the closing stretch. And again, I think for Ocon, it's another match trying to prove himself. And we're starting to see if Ocon is starting to get some of the, the better guys in the block towards the, the latter half of this tournament. So this should be um, better you know, performance-wise for great Ocon in this week. And then finally, the last show before we record will be Tuesday, October 12th at 5.30 a.m. Eastern start Eastern time on NJPW World, uh, Tuesday, October 12th, night 14th, uh, night 14, and the show's going to open up. We're going to have Hiromu taking on Oiwa, so that'll be a fun uh, opener there for this show, and Oiwa getting some time to mix it up with Hiromu. Hiromu probably has, has a time bomb um, in Oiwa's future. In the first tournament matchup, we'll have Taichi versus Tamatonga. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Taichi getting the win here. I've kind of lost track of those guys' points, but I think this would bring Taichi up to eight points. Um, so that that's where you want, you know, one half attack champs. Then um, Yoshihashi versus Sonata. Going to go with Sonata getting the win. I believe that will also bring him up to eight points. Then Okada versus Chase Owens. Uh, have Okada win, so that'll bring Okada up to 12. Then the semi-main event's going to be Hiroki Goto versus Evil. Uh, Evil's probably going to get the win here. I believe that will bring him up to 12 as well. And then Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jeff Cobb in the main event. I'm going to have Cobb get the win on Tanahashi. That would bring Cobb up to 12. And then you could also give Cobb a future U.S. title match off that win. So it looks like we have a, a lot of uh, really good matches in store for this next uh, upcoming week of G1 action. So some good stuff. Make sure you guys check that out. Uh, look out for Twitter for my um, real-time star ratings for these matches. Also, something that I've been failing to plug is the column that I am doing with the implications over at wrestlingheadlines.com. We are reviewing uh, each week. At the end of the week, we pick our top five matches and we pick the top three performers of the week. So we have two weeks worth of columns up at wrestlingheadlines.com. You can click on the Imps Adventures column series and you can find it there. Um, look on my Twitter, sharing it out there as well. So if you want more uh, G1 insight and coverage from me, you can visit there and check the columns out. Also, you can check out Imp's perspective and his thoughts on the tournament thus far as well. And we have some questions here before we move on to NJPW Strong. So from Rambone Slam Pig, says, what year is your favorite G1 from an in-ring standpoint? I would go 2016 or 2018 based on what I have seen. Is your favorite based on some other criteria? Uh, so from my 
in-ring standpoint, let's see, I did not watch all the 2016 G1. I would probably say 2018 from what I've seen. Um, so I've reviewed 2018, 2019, 2020, and now this year. So this is my fourth G1 watching everything. Um, so yeah, 2018 would probably be the my favorite from an in-ring standpoint. I also think 2019 is very close to me too, just because of. I mean, we had a lot of great like surprise entries. You had you had Mox and you had Kenta. Uh, that was just a really fun tournament. And again, like you know, I was there on the opening night on Dallas. Uh, you had you had Osprey and Chingo making. Uh, the move up to heavyweight and, and being in those tournaments. And we had a lot of great matches from those guys as well. So I think night, uh, year um, 2019 is a, another good year for in-ring standpoint. But I think 2018 uh, might edge it out just with the, obviously you think back to that Tanahashi um, Abushi final and you still had Kenny Omega in the tournament. Um, still had a lot of great guys there. So I think 2018 would probably edge it out. Uh, from an in-ring standpoint, but I also really love uh, 2019 as well. Dom Homie 101 asks, which one do you enjoy more, the G1 in the summer or the G1 in the fall? Um, that's a really good question, uh, Dom Homie. Uh, this is now the second year that we've gotten a, a fall G1, and I think I, I like the fall G1 better just because it's closer to Wrestle Kingdom season. And it, it makes the end of the year feel a little bit more important and go by a little bit faster. Because uh, G1 in the summer, um, you know, it would end, you know, what, the middle of August. And then I feel like from August to the end of the year is, is kind of a, a slog. I mean, we, you would still get some good matches. Also, you, you would get a King of Pro Wrestling main event. You would you would get um, Power Struggle, um uh, the destruction in in Kobe or Bipu or wherever they do destruction at you you would get a destruction tour so th- there would be stuff happening and of course you would have normally have your World Tag League but it, it just feels like you know we're we're waiting for Wrestle Kingdom like a lot of the stuff that's happening in the fall usually doesn't really matter because you're you're doing these briefcase defenses and typically you would have the briefcase winner win and then the champions. You're kind of feeding him some easy defenses. I mean, he's still having some great matches, but there are matches he's probably going to win. And so the fall would kind of get stale sometimes because of the briefcase and kind of, you know, waiting for Wrestle Kingdom. You, you pretty much had your, your Wrestle Kingdom main event set, and you, you had, like, what, four or five, uh, four months to, to get to it. With G1 being in the fall, it shortens that timetable. Um, G1 ending in the end of October, then you you only have November to do a show, to do Power Struggle, and then you have World Tag League, and the next thing you know, we're on the road to the Tokyo Dome. So it definitely makes the end of the year fly by faster, and it eliminates a bunch of briefcase defenses. And, uh, yeah, logistically overall, I think, yeah, doing it in the fall Works out better. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens when things start getting back to normal. We do know the state of emergency has been lifted uh, for the first time since, like, April in Japan. Um, so that that's some good news there. And obviously, New Japan is working with the government as far as when it's the right time to run bigger capacities and to allow fans to um, actually cheer um, at shows. 
So yeah, next year hopefully we'll we'll see what happens if G, if they will continue this fall G one or if they're going to slide things back to um, the summer. So now let's take a look at NJPW Strong. We have the conclusion of the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour this past Saturday on NJPWWorld.com. The show opened up with Jr. Kratos defeating Fred Yehi. Uh, this was a really good matchup here. Uh, Freddie A. Highly savage weight, um, you know, tried to use his amateur wrestling background, his uh, suplexing ability on J.R. Kratos, but J.R. Kratos is just a, a really big man, and it was, it was just a hard time for Mr. Yehi to try and suplex Kratos or get any kind of advantage on him. So Kratos gets the, the big win here over Freddie Yehi. Then the second match of the evening, we had the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson defeating Royce Isaacs 11 minutes and 8 seconds. This was a really good matchup here. Really technical, really hard hitting. Um, this was kind of a breakout match here for Royce Isaacs. I think a lot of people really kind of know him as a tag team guy, whether it be with the West Coast Wrecking Crew or with his um, team in the NWA with uh, Thomas Latimer. Um, so Isaac really, yeah, he's been seen as a tag guy to wrestling fans, but really a breakout moment here in this singles match with uh, Chris Dickinson. A lot of great stuff here. Very hard hitting. Uh, Dickinson gets the win over Isaacs. Then the main event of the evening was a long-anticipated strong openweight championship match between the champion Filthy Tom Lawler and Leo Rush. Filthy Tom ends up defeating Leo Rush uh, 16 minutes and 19 seconds. This was a really, really, really good uh, main event and title match here. We had uh, some shenanigans here at the end where there was an exposed turnbuckle, uh, which caused the demise for Leo Rush running into that exposed turnbuckle and Tom Allen locking on that rare naked choke and uh, putting Leo Rush to sleep. Yeah, but really good match here. A lot of great back and forth counters. Leo Rush really displayed his amateur wrestling background. And there were times where he was fighting for this sleeper hold on uh, Filthy Tom. Uh, we had a little bit of J.R. Kratos um, you know, interference in the match, but uh, wasn't egregious here. Uh, and Leo Rush looked really great here. And, you know, with him signing with AEW, looks like Leo Rush as you know, postponed his retirement, and we're going to see more of him on Strong. We're going to see more of him on AEW, which I think is great. Um, he's a, a great professional wrestler and, and definitely adds to New Japan Strong and will add to AEW. And then the really exciting thing, post-match, uh, Filthy Tom, he, you know, throws a gauntlet down, says who's going to come out and challenge me next, and who should come out but our man, Ren Narita. Coming off his big win of Fred Rosser a couple weeks ago, he um, comes out here and he challenges Filthy Tom. And uh, Tom's like, you know, I have already beaten you earlier. You're a young boy, yada, yada. But that did not intimidate Red Narita. And he, stored, he stared down uh, Filthy Tom. So the, the matchup will be happening. It was a part of the Autumn Attack Texas tapings. And that match is going to be happening this coming Saturday on Strong. So before I preview this coming Saturday Strong, had a question here from Mitch MM22. This is with the wins Renarita is racking up on Strong. Do you think it's possible he has graduated from being a young lion, and he's just not changing his gear to continue his gimmick as Shibata Jr.? 
Um, yeah, that that definitely could be possible, but we are seeing that the Noge Dojo Young Lions, when they come over to the LA Dojo, they are picking up wins. Uh, you know, we, we've seen Yu Yamura starting to get wins, and uh, Narita's been picking up some big wins, and you know, he still comes out to the LA Dojo music. Um, so I don't know because we've we've seen the LA Dojo guys graduate and get new music and get new gear. So I do think that will be in line with him. But, I mean, they could be going with the Shibata Jr. route, like you mentioned, and he could just be stick with the Black Trunks and stick with the L.A. Dojo music and kind of be maybe the face of the, the L.A. Dojo. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, either way, I'm fine. Renarita is awesome, and I, I think he would be great if he if he stuck with the Black Tights. That, that, that worked for him, but if not, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him get some kind of gimmick or, or some kind of new gear. But Narita's a man, and I'm pumped that he's getting a strong openweight title match. So coming up this Saturday, we will have night one of Autumn Attack, which were the tapings that happened in Texas. The show's going to open up Minoru Suzuki versus Fred Rosser. Then the second match will be the strong openweight championship match as Filthy Tom will defend against Ren Narita. And then the main event, champion versus champion, the never openweight champion Switchblade Jay White will take on the IWGP junior heavyweight champion Robbie Eagles. Um, So that should be a fun matchup. We know these guys have history with Eagles being a former member of the Bull Club, so a huge main event here on Strongest Week for the kickoff of the Autumn Attack Tour, and guys, if you are not watching Strong, you really should be, it is one of the best hours of professional wrestling going today, uh, especially now that they have fans back in attendance, it, it's just gotten so much better, we're getting bigger names on the show now. We got Suzuki. We have we have Jay White here. We have Robbie Eagle. This is, this is a huge episode, and, and going forward, they they've booked a lot of really great matches for these strong TV tapings. And speaking of strong, we have a a newcomer that will be debuting in Philly, Arya Davari of Two O Five Fame, the Two O Five Legend is going to be making his strong debut on the October 16th show on Philadelphia. He will be taking on Alex Zane, which on that show also will have Will Ospreay and TJP facing Clark Connors and Ren Narita. On the 17th, um, we have the the Moxley and Kingston match against um, Suzuki and Archer. But on that night, Davari will team up with Leo Rush to take on ELP and Chris Bay. And on that night, Jay White and Hikaleo will also face Fred Yehai and Wheeler, Utah. So Davari, it seems like he might be kind of positioned as a face, maybe? Uh, the first night he's facing Zayn, Zayn's definitely a face, so maybe that's like a face versus face. Or maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe just the interact, introduction and then maybe him teaming with Leo. Maybe that he turns on Leo and, and you get a feud there. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, Davari, he's a, a solid guy. I think he's a guy that was overlooked and underrated on 205 Live. Uh, I think he's a really good worker, and I think uh, Strong would be a good place for him to continue to grow and have some really good matches. 
So the only other news that I have that I haven't covered already, um, Tony Storm announced on her Instagram this week her engagement to Juice Robinson. Storm posted the news on her Instagram account with the photo caption that read, Pop the champagne, I am changing my last name. So congratulations to Tony Storm and Juice Robinson. And now we just have a few other questions here, then we'll get to the recommended match of the week, and then I'll close this show out. So first from Reddit user fit underscore beautiful 2638. Says looking forward to best super junior schedule a bit. I think I count 11 events plus a final. Does that mean a single block with 12 entrants, six matches per card? Or is there some other scenario you can think of with 11 league dates that works? So I was looking at the schedule. I looked at what they did last year. So last year we did have a couple nights where there were some combined Super Junior and World Tag League. But it does look like this year, since there are the only the final night will be a combined night, that it's going to be a 12-entry um, single-block tournament. And um, I did hear some news. Sources close to us have kind of filled us in and who's kind of penciled in for this tournament. And I'll just say that it's the, the 12 guys that you would expect to probably be in this thing. I know there was Dragon Lee that was um, tweeting and teasing about being in the tournament. Um, as far as I know, my source is saying that uh, Dragon Lee is currently not penciled to be in the tournament as of right now. I don't know with the state of emergency being lifted. And I don't know Dragon Lee's visa situation. There maybe there is a chance that he could get in the country and they can you know sub somebody out for Dragon Lee. But if that is not the case, it's going to be twelve guys that are all in Japan already. Next question from the underscore dark underscore soldier. If the IWGP Intercontinental Title was still around, who would you have given the title to? Hmm, let's see. If the IC belt was still around, who could it have gone to? I mean, I think you could have given it to Osprey before he won the world title. That could have been, we've seen a lot of guys get that IC title before they get the world title as part of their elevation. So I think Will Osprey would have been a great IC champion. Um, I think Shingo's a guy that could have been an IC champion. Um, Trying to think who else could have been um, IC champ. Yeah, those, those are the two guys that really come in mind to me would, would be Osprey and Chingo. Definitely Osprey, because obviously there was a kind of a clear set path for him to become a main eventer, to get into the heavyweight scene, to get into the title picture. So I feel like, you know, you could have had him, yeah, have a, a nice long reign, kind of like with Kenny winning the IC belt first, having that a nice little reign with the IC title. And then he could have won the world title. And last question here from Reddit user WizFactor says, can the young boy explain why New Japan really runs shows in Yokohama? Wrestle Kingdom 16 will be their first time in that city in almost eight years, which is odd for a company that tours the country from north to south. Well, the young boy is not here, but I will do my best to uh, answer this question for you, WizFactor. So, I pulled up the, the handydandycagematch.net, and I, I went back into New Japan and, and looked at Yokohama because I felt it was odd that they had not been to Yokohama recently, and I know they had been, 
Um, so yeah, I mean, just this past year, the Summer Struggle Tour on that happened on August 10th, they were in Yokohama, rode to Wrestling Dontaku in April, they were in Yokohama, um, G1 last year, night 16, they were in Yokohama, uh, night 16, 2019, they were in Yokohama, um, then let's see, there was a show, New Japan Pro, World Pro Wrestling, they were in Yokohama, uh, 2018 night 16 g1 yokohama uh 2017 night 16 uh g1 there in yokohama so i think the thing that you were looking at is probably yokohama arena so yokohama arena they have not been at in eight years and i couldn't find the reason why that was a situation but as far as yokohama the city they they have been in yokohama and that is on their their touring schedule and it seems like, you know, night 16 is always, like, the, the night for that. But this year, night 17 of the G1, they will be in Yokohama. So, they, they are in Yokohama, just not hitting up Yokohama Arena. Uh, not sure why that is. Um, I'll try and see if I, I can find some, some more uh, information out on that. So, the last thing that we have here, recommended match of the week. So, last week, the young boy recommended for us to watch Kurt Angle versus Yuji Nagata. From the Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, man, that was a great matchup. These guys were like pretty much a mirror image of each other with the amateur wrestling background, being the same age, almost same height. And yeah, these guys, it was a great matchup. Both guys hitting big suplexes, Kurt working over Nagata's um, legs and ankles, trying to set up the, the, the ankle lock. Nagata got um, angle into several of the Nagata locks across face, the arm bar. Uh, just a great back and forth with, with counters out of submissions, counters into suplexes. Um, this was a, a great matchup. Um, so if you haven't seen this yet, you go on YouTube. It's on the Impact Wrestling YouTube channel. You, if you just type in Eugene Nagata versus Kurt Angle, it will come up. It was from the Global Impact uh, Special and, man, this was a really great matchup. Kurt Angle is one of my favorites, and I love Yuji Nagata. And these guys went out here and killed it, had a really good match. I, I kind of wish that the full match was in entirety on NJPW World because the Global Impact does kind of cut to commercial. I mean, they show you what happens during their quote-unquote break. Um, but, yeah, I would love the match. But one good thing about watching the Global Impact version was having Mike Tanay and Don West on commentary, and they did a great job, especially, you know, the professor, Mike Tanay, uh, calling that match, giving the backstory of Angle, why he was the third IWGP champion, and talking about Brock Lesnar and all the whole hot mess that was, and then, you know, hyping up Nagata and his accomplishments. So um, I, I miss Mike Tanay on commentary, and uh, I feel like there, there, you know, there should be some, he should be commentating on some promotion. Right now, um, if I if I had a promotion in America, I would be calling uh, Mike Tenay ASAP. Um, so, yeah, good stuff here. Check that out. So this week's recommended match of the week will be Will Ospreay versus Ricky Knight Jr., the big title versus title match that happened at Rev Pro High Stakes on September 19th. This match is up on NJPW World. So if you're a subscriber, just log in. You don't have to worry about signing up for Rev Pro. You can watch the, the big match up here between Osprey and Ricky Knight Jr. 
gotten a lot of great reviews. Need to, need to watch it. So uh, I have it reviewed for Excursion Match of the Year candidacy for our Keeping a Strong Style Year End Awards. So kind of killing two birds with one stone stone here. Uh, so that's the recommended match of the week: Will Osprey versus Ricky Knight Jr. Also, the Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher versus Connor Mills and Michael Oku match is also up on njpwworld.com. So, looking forward to checking that one out as well. Uh, but this week, the recommended match, Osprey versus Ricky Knight Jr. I'm sure we'll also see the, the, the Empire angle at the end of that match as well. So, definitely a, a relevant match to watch because it does play into the the main canon of New Japan and what's going on with the United Empire and the quote-unquote real World Heavyweight Champion, Will Ospreay. Well, folks, that is going to wrap things up for us here this week on Keeping a Strong Style. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Sampsa is locked in for next week, and hopefully the young boy will be, in, will be able to join us next week as well. And we'll be reviewing uh, nights uh, 11 through 14 next week. So if you enjoyed today's show, please leave a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also, you can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Also, check out our YouTube channel. Type in Social Suplex Podcast Network and subscribe for some podcast clips. And make sure you check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have one of radio hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh number two, all things Elite with Floyd in Austin, and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.